This morning's scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, I pray that you speak through me and when and where necessary in spite of me. And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning and the time that I have with you all, I would like to preach and teach on a sermon entitled Q&A. Q&A. This whole scenario makes me anxious and confused. As a student from kindergarten through seminary, I was always reticent to answer questions. In high school and college, when teachers and professors would begin a semester explaining that there is a certain percentage of your grade that would begin, that would be participation points, I'd resign to the lower letter grade because I know that I wasn't going to participate in class. And as a general rule, I didn't ask questions, nor did I answer questions, sometimes unsure of my own mastery of the knowledge, even when the question was supposedly easy. So if you can picture me as that student who was a mixture of timid and insecure and scared, sitting with Jesus and the disciples being asked, who do you say that I am? It is a certain cringe-worthy factor. I mean, it is Jesus. The Jesus I learned about growing up is omniscient. And so I think about the lyric to the hymn, Jesus knows all about our troubles. And that hymn never implied that we even have to tell Jesus about our troubles. It is more of that Jesus is just that good and knows them anyway. So why would Jesus ask a question that he already knows the answer to? Jesus asked the disciples two questions, questions of identity but I'm a little suspect. Why would Jesus ask questions that he already knows the answer to? So if I was there, I'd go ahead and take a hard pass on volunteering to answer. (laughs) However, Peter seizes the opportunity to show off. Now, in my theological imagination, I'm really starting to believe that Peter does not pick up on social cues or remember any previous incidents with Jesus. Prior to the death of Jesus, Peter seems impulsive, eager, brazen, and is constantly getting rebuked by Jesus for being impulsive, eager, and brazen. (laughs) Essentially, Jesus' first question at Sisera Philippi, a town that had been a shrine to imperial power, is, what have you heard? 
On one hand, Jesus already knows this. Presumably, Jesus is strong and solid in his role as Savior and Redeemer, and he shouldn't care what people think. But this morning, we sit with Jesus in questions of identity. Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? One is a question of capacity, and one is a question of revelation. Who do people say that I am is a question of capacity. Our mental capacity to divine people is based on what we have known and what we can reasonably grasp. In this particular context, Jesus must be a prophet. There are at least three to choose from. It could be John the Baptist, the preparer, Elijah, the one who returns, and Jeremiah, the one who is focused on Jerusalem. They are all good answers. Prophets proclaim a message that is not always popular. Prophets critique a particular culture. And prophets point toward a different future. And if all you have ever known is a prophet, how could you possibly imagine something else? Oddly enough, this made me think of the turn of the century, as in Y2K, when rapper Eminem burst onto the music scene. I was in high school then, and I was somewhat of MTV's automaton, and anything that they said or told me to listen to, I obliged to. Now, if you do not know who Eminem is, or you're temporarily shocked that he just came up in a sermon, let me introduce him. Eminem is a white male rapper from Detroit who was produced by and worked with Dr. Dre. Now, prior to Eminem's introduction to mass culture and to the CD players of suburbia, both the hip-hop industry and its fans were incapable of seeing him. Why? Eminem was white. He was a white rapper. The last white rapper to step on the scene prior to Eminem and to have success was Gimmicky, a simulacra of the art form by the name of Vanilla Ice. So in this predominantly black genre of music, fairly fresh from the years of the Vanilla Ice craze, and Vanilla Ice had this pop shtick that helped diminish the young genre of music as a legitimate art form and as an avenue for expression with a song called Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. It's hard to take the genre seriously. And then comes Eminem. There is no way he could rap, thought many, and definitely no way he could be a good rapper. The color of his skin barred him entry into a culture, an audience, and a demographic. The culture, uh, the color of his skin uh, at the time barred him from introduction to an audience and a demographic that was trying to become corporate as well as stay grounded in its roots. In a documentary called The Defiant One, both Eminem and producer Dr. Dr. Dre talk about those early days essentially answering the same question that Jesus asked with the hindsight of the present. Who do people say that I am? For Eminem, it was that some say that you are just another gimmick, and some say that you are just a white dude stealing culture that isn't yours. But with the clout of Dr. Dre and with the sheer talent, Eminem burst onto the scene and succeeded commercially and culturally. He is now often listed as one of the best rappers ever, alive or dead. And in the early 2000s, the world couldn't denounce his talent. On his second album, Eminem released a single entitled The Way I Am. It was a declaration of who he was against a culture that wanted to define him in some strict ways. Now, this story of Eminem is a reminder of our human nature. 
All too often, we can only process new information through the lens and restrictions of the past. It is why Eminem was initially dismissed as another gimmicky white rapper and why Jesus is only identified as a prophet. Prophets are wonderful and great. And it is an honor to be called a prophet, except Jesus is more than and not just a prophet. We define things against the past and through reason. So if the first question of identity is one of capacity, then the second question, who do you say that I am, is a question that so far has only been answered through existing frameworks of understanding people. This constraint renders us with an inability to imagine a different future or a different way of being. Thus, it is ever more necessary that the question that Jesus follows up with is a question of revelation. With a confirmation of the knowledge of what others say, Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them, who do you say that I am? It is a question of experience and a question of revelation. Peter, in exuberance, answers through a confession on which the church will be built on. Peter's answer, though, is not just for brownie points. Peter confesses Jesus' identity on behalf of so many, on behalf of the disciples, on behalf of those who over 2,000 years later will follow Jesus. Peter's answer to the question, who do you say that I am, came not through personal achievement or attainment, but through revelation. In a world where we are quick to stratify and qualify others based on title, pedigree, status, and education, we are reminded this morning that revelation yields to testimony, and our faith is built on these testimonies. Jesus commends Peter's correct answer, not with accolades to his intelligence or other attributes, but by reminding him that he can only utter such a declaration because it has been revealed to him. Another way of interpreting this second question is, what have you experienced of me? So somewhere in those long talks from the mountains, the fishing trips, the hungry being fed, the lame being able to walk, the persistent woman asking that her daughter be blessed, Peter has experienced and observed Jesus to be the Messiah, the anointed one. This confession must be understood in light of the Gospel of Matthew, which is also in Mark, so Casey wasn't completely off by saying the Gospel of Mark. Yes. In the, in the Gospel of Matthew, in this larger arc, in recounting the life and message of Jesus Christ, in Matthew, these seven verses come at a crucial midpoint. The confession of Peter comes to fruition in the midst of what the Gospel of Matthew perceives to be a blind and recalcitrant Israel. Even in the midst of so many folks who find the message that Jesus proclaims offensive or are curious yet apprehensive, even with the threat of persecution or the promise of persecution, as Jesus will very soon foreshadow the cross, Peter proclaims Jesus' true identity. In many ways, part of the beauty comes from the fact that the eager, brazen, impulsive disciple, the one who never seems to learn, has the confession onto which we at Westminster stand. It is the confession that the church universal stakes their very being on. We don't know Jesus through achievement, but through revelation. I want to digress very briefly to use claims and questions of my own identity and understandings to hopefully illuminate the power of revelation. To put it mildly, I am obsessed with Disney's animated film Moana. 
Now, Moana is a heroine through Revelation. My cell phone ringer is the song, I Am Moana, a song in which Moana comes into her role by understanding both her culture's capacity to define her and the revelation of her own calling. She is the daughter of the village priest. She is the descendant of voyagers. However, Moana is more than that. Her story is not of a girl who is just those things. Those definitions are definitions of capacity constructed by a culture and a history that can't imagine a different future. But the plot changes when it is revealed to Moana that the call on her life is not to fit into those constraints, even if those constraints are good. Moana is called to the sea to be an agent of salvation for her village, her people, and to a a destiny that is seemingly far more abundant than anything her parents could ever ask or imagine. Now, the preacher in me cannot even seem to enjoy a Disney movie without seeing metaphors for the life of faith. So here it goes. It is not lost on me that for Moana, revelation comes on the water. And for for us, water is all about claiming identity, putting on our identity as a child of God. The waters that promise us that the constraints of the culture cannot stand against the calling of Christ in the waters of baptism. Like the culture who is apprehensive and even offended by the gospel message in Matthew, the plot of Moana shifts when she has a revelation. Now perhaps it is dangerous, borderline blasphemous, to compare Moana to Jesus. But I do think both Moana and the confession of Peter are comparable. The church is built on the confession and testimony of someone who doesn't always get it. Someone who is just curious and courageous enough to be open to a new possibility and a new way of being identified. The church's beauty, and by church I mean those gathered and those sent out, is as fragile and as resilient as each one of our individual faiths. Like Peter, we as individuals and we as the church stay in this constant tug of war between powerlessness and power. Yet despite ourselves, here the church is and remains by the grace of God by the confession and testimony of those who have come before and those who have yet to come. Not even the things of death can sink or break the church. This motley crew of eager, brazen, impulsive, broken, and defiant, gathered and sent out folks who dare to believe, not by human reasoning or cultural constructs, that the triune God is able to do abundantly far more than anything we can ever ask or imagine. In the name of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer, amen.